Welcome to the Mead Musings Podcast. Here we open discussions on everyday hidden issues. Like living with disabilities and dealing with illnesses. We also cover issues around conditions such as stroke, diabetes, autism, cancer, leukemia and also living in abusive relationships. We focus on helping people see the light at the end of the tunnel. This podcast is available on YouTube and your favorite podcast platform. Please subscribe. Thanks for listening. Welcome to another episode of the Meet Musings podcast. My guest on this episode is a clinical pharmacist. And today's episode is going to be a very controversial topic because we are discussing COVID-19 and the vaccine. So my guest is Marielena Brittany. She's based in Arizona in the USA. So welcome to the Meet Musings podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's an honor to be here and I'm so excited. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to share what I know. Oh, thank you so much. So you are a clinical pharmacist. What do you do on a day-to-day basis? Okay, as a clinical pharmacist in the U.S. and some countries that have implemented what is hospital hospital clinical pharmacists is that we work in the normally in the dungeon which is in a place that doesn't have a a window that is very away from everybody because we have controlled drugs there in the pharmacy and most people don't even know we're there that's part of the deal but we are there a bunch of us normally with technicians mixing preparing calculating correcting suggesting and adjusting patients medications whether is that this drug didn't work, let's try this one, or the drug that the doctor ordered was not the best one because of the patient's situation, whether it's that they have kidney problems or liver problems or it's causing certain side effects. Because clinical pharmacists and pharmacists in general are the experts in medications related to prescription drugs, medications in general. We go to school for six years to become a doctor on medications and in general. So that's what we do. So in the modern practice of medicine, physicians don't take care of this part. They give us what is called protocols, which is that the doctors give us parameters where we can practice independently based on our knowledge that honestly they don't have because they just have one semester of pharmacology, which is the study of medications in their medical career. And we have about 20 to 22, depending on the school of pharmacy that you go to. So they trust us. They believe that our information is more accurate than whatever they can have. They do have some knowledge, but they trust us. Like the typical phone call in the pharmacy would be the surgeon is calling you. One of the surgeon is calling you because he has a question. And then when I answer, he would be or she would be saying, hey, I just have this uh, patient that is infected, is, is having fever. And this is what the laboratory is telling me that the bacteria are. What, based on the patient situation, I mean, the kidney, liver, and other areas of their body functions, what medication do you think is the ideal? And why don't you go ahead and, and, and order that for me? And then what I do is that I review the patients all the way that, that they have, like any, any lab, any blood test, any x-rays, any feedback from nursing and then from nursing staff. And then I make a a good case about it. I decide what they need and I write the order and the doctor verifies it and seconds my opinion. But the doctors do trust me. They just have to review it, you know, because it's it's their their responsibilities, their patient. But we are there to do that. So doctors trust us with their, almost their eyes closed because that's what we do. And unfortunately, pharmacy is not that popular with the patients. Patients think that doctors are the ones that do this. But that's what we're trying to do these days to show them that that we are the experts on medications. And in this specific case, vaccines are medications. So we know quite a bit about this. And that's why I'm here. Oh, thank you so much for that explanation, because I do know that when I go to the hospital, the doctor says this and that, and I have to still take the prescription to the pharmacy. And yes. then sometimes the pharmacist reviews and says, oh, yeah, you can't be on social medication and this at the same time. So they call yes. me, they refer me back to the doctor. And I yes. say, and I have to explain why I have to have my medication. Yeah, because sometimes, you know, when you have a, a, a specific ailment, 
your body gets used to the medication that you've been on for a while. So you've got to change that medication to, for it to work. So for me, that's the way I interact with pharmacists. And mm -hmm. I really appreciate you explaining this. But we are talking about COVID-19 mm -hmm. and uh, we know this is a very deadly virus. So what's your involvement with the vaccine? Well, it is indeed a very deadly virus. And, you know, the problem is not only that it kills people. It's also that the virus causes so many effects on the human body when you survive the virus that makes it even worse. Because if the patient died, which is not, it's not all the patients that die, fortunately, just a percentage of them do, you think, well, the rest of them that don't die, they're doing okay. And that is not the case. Patients have reported lacks of memory, fog, memory fog is how they call it. They get dizzy, they get super weak, very fatigued. Uh, they have uh, issues going back to work because their memory and the, the dizziness and the balance is not good. And uh, some of them can even return to work. And all of of patients that have had this um, type of reactions to the disease caused by the SARS-CoV-2 virus, which is called COVID-19, didn't expect this to happen. Most people in relations to the vaccine, they say, I I'm healthy. I'm not going to die with this vaccine. I don't have any other of the diseases that are known to me to make it worse. So they said, I don't have any of that. I don't need the vaccine. What they don't know is all the description that I was giving you before of the other effects that the, the disease, COVID-19 disease would cause. And that is the part that we need to be mindful of. Besides the fact that the more people that are vaccinated, the less people that have the actual virus in their body transmitting it to other people so we can get rid of it. That's basically what we're trying to do. The more people are that are vaccinated, the more people that have protections against the virus. So as soon as the virus comes to their body, it stops reproducing and it cannot be transmitted. So then we break the cycle. That is, I got it. I bring it to others. They get sick. They bring it to others and so on and so forth. So once we break the cycle, which is with a vaccine like the ones that we have available now, that is what the goal is. And that's the way that I see it from the public health as well, which is not only my family or myself or not even my neighborhood, is the planet. You go from your communities to your state or province, and then you go to your country and then to your continent. And after that, you go through the world, because if we all remember, this started in a small ish uh, a city in china and now yeah. it's all over the world oh yeah thank you so much yeah basically i do agree with you we the deadly virus and uh, we need to find a cure we need to find a way around it and we need to get our lives back to as mm -hmm. normal as possible and Agreed. i do understand that governments of the world needed to take immediate action to find a cure well, prior to COVID-19, vaccines had to go through periods of trials. And this is one of the concerns for people. Vaccines had to go through periods of trials for them to be approved. But now that this vaccine has been approved so quickly mm -hmm. by the government, why should we trust them, given that some of these companies are actually involved have been known to have failed trials and mm -hmm. they've had so many, some like Pfizer, for instance, yes. was known not to have followed the protocol, the ethical guidelines in drug trials and securing approvals for their drugs. And this is one of the reasons why people are so skeptical about allowing themselves to be vaccinated with these vaccines that are out now. So how can we trust that these vaccines are actually what they say they are and what are the contents? Are you, as a pharmacist, you are involved, you know what is actually good for each person. So what are the contents of the vaccines and how are we able to trust that these vaccines are actually the cure for this virus? 
Well, first of all, I have to confess, I did not want the vaccine at the beginning either. I was on the same boat that these people that you're describing are. Because my training, I, w- I graduated from pharmacy school in 1993, a long time ago. And uh, then the only ways that we knew that a vaccine could be developed was through grabbing the virus and then studying the virus manually under microscopes and with our own two hands doing stuff through, uh, to them to find out what was the way that they reproduce or the way that they cause damage to our bodies. And that took months and months or years even, because again, the technology was not that developed. That's one thing. The other thing is that once you determined what part of the virus was the one ca- causing the disease, and even more importantly, how they reproduce to become transmittable to other people, then the virus, the actual virus live was reproduced mostly on hen eggs and they were planted there so they would grow. And then after a few weeks that they grew to maturity, they were one by one by hand taken out of the eggs. And once they got it out, they took the little part that was the one that transmitted the disease. And then that was what, what they killed or, or actually made it not able to reproduce and put in each one of the vaccines. As I'm telling you, this is so long. Imagine doing it one by one in millions and millions and billions of vaccines. That took a very long time. And that is just talking about studying the virus and manufacturing the virus. That has nothing to do with studies. So this process is what is believed is the longest in terms of creating a vaccine. Now, when you go to the uh, trials and the authorizations and all the tests that they need to make for these products to be approved or these vaccines to be approved, you have two standpoints. You have the standpoint of the, the company that is making this because they're investing time and employees and money and infrastructure and all what they need to invest for this to see if it works or not, right? And then you have public safety, which is what the the government or the organisms like the FDA or the CDC have to monitor for their communities. And this specific last two ones are kind of followed by the whole world. So they have a very important job. So when you think about that, that is also a, a big, huge reason why they take time. Because talking about the first one, they would say, well, you know, I don't know. I don't have enough money. I have other products to investigate and have enough time with my scientists or genetic genetic engineers to dev- to devote for this specific product i have other products so they you know they need to hire new people and all that is time and money and that's why it gets delayed so in this case for this specific vaccine for the vaccine for covid-19 or this the virus called SARS-CoV-2 this was a global emergency the whole world was at risk So they didn't want to save time. They didn't want to save money. They actually stopped other stuff that they were doing and put everybody to work on this. So just with that, they save a ton of money. So that's a a ton of money and time. Time is what I'm trying to explain here. Now, talking about the previous point that I made about how to find the the part of the virus that is responsible for reproducing and, and actually reproducing it, not in chicken hens, and chicken or, or, or hens eggs, what they did is that they created a computer system that actually reads the information of the virus, what it is, the genetics of the virus very easily and super fast. So they don't need to go with a microscope one by one by hand to do all this work. They just got it super easy. Technology, again, made a, f- a huge, huge difference in this. And time. I remember that the virus was found in December in China in 2019. And in January, we already, the whole world had access to the sequence. Because being what it was, they had to share it all over. They didn't keep the information. So it was available for everybody that wanted to grab it. So these companies that have developed this vaccine, specifically Moderna and Pfizer, that were the first two ones that created these vaccines, they had years and actually over a decade studying these new ways to create vaccines through the what is called mRNA, which is a part of the genetic information that these viruses have 
that contain kind of the checklist of everything that needs to be done for the virus to reproduce. So they found that very easy in this information that I was telling you that was available in January. And they just grab it and said, let's just use it with this technique that we have developed for over 12, 15 years, depending on the company that we're talking about. And let's see if it works. So all the process, the manual process, the very meticulous way that had to be done didn't need to be done because of Thanks to technology, the technology of finding out what parts of the virus was the uh, the actual reproduction, the, the responsible for reproduction, and then the technology that was able to take that part out and then be used in animals. So with that, we saved a ton of time, I would say years of time. Then they had that and they started testing it in animals, which is the very first uh, step that they do just to make sure you know, that the dose is correct and the animals were not dying. And they did start studying and everything was perfect. Everything worked great, which is never the case. You always make mistakes. You always have, this didn't work. Let's just go back to the drawing table. That did not happen because technology wasn't their side. So then they found out that animals were getting perfectly fine. They didn't have any, any effects. That wasn't a little inflammation in the area where they got the vaccine. And then they determined that it was super safe. So they went to the next studies that was also on animals to determine what was necessary dose. And once they determined all that, the results were magical. The results were like sci-fi results. So they couldn't believe it. And when they presented to the authorities in the US, in this case for Moderna and Pfizer, they were like, look at this, this is incredible. So that's why the FDA said, well, based on these results, um, we're going to authorize you to start testing it in humans. And that's why in May 2020, they were able to start testing it in humans. So a process that would have taken otherwise two, three, five years took just five months or even less than that. So when people say that it didn't go to the trials and the testing that it needed to go through, that is not true. The, the longest time that needed for the vaccine to be developed was all made by, by computers. And it was tested in animals way faster than would have been tested in, in other situations. And then the studies in humans started in May. We had people, Pfizer, for example, that was the first one approved, had people in South Africa, Brazil, Argentina, the US, Germany, getting the vaccine as volunteers just to make sure the vaccine was safe. Once these people took it, they didn't have any side effects in humans like it was in animals. They said, well, this looks very promising. So then they determined that the vaccine needed a second dose because the first dose only was giving them about 50% coverage. I mean, 50% of people that got the vaccine would have gotten a little bit sick or have some symptoms and just 50% didn't. So they thought, well, maybe let's do a second dose to see how it would work. And they did it. And it ended up being on the 90s that we're talking about, which means that of 100, 100 people that were vaccinated, 92 did not get any symptoms whatsoever. And the other percentage, the other 7 point whatever, 8% that they did, they got very, very mild symptoms. They didn't need to go to the hospital. They need, didn't need to be intubated. And none of them, of course, died. So these results were wonderful. And because we had so many people dying, and we're talking about 30,000 people that were in this trial, granted, about half of them received the vaccine because the, the testing is, I'm going to give you nothing that looks like a vaccine, but it's not. It's just saline solution, which is water and salt. And the other one was the vaccine. So when they compared the results, it was just amazing. In the, in the one that didn't get the vaccine, the people that did not get the vaccine that got exposed to the virus, all of them got symptoms and some of them got hospitalized and a few of them died, as it would have been if they didn't have the vaccine or in the trial. So the answer that I want to give, it was a very long story, but I want everybody to understand how it works and what happened. So you don't think that they skip anything. What they did skip, and I have to agree with you partially with this, is that the studies were not done for long enough time. Other, in other cases, it would have been done for six months, for, six, for a year, for maybe two years to find out if they were safe enough. But because the results were so amazingly good, granted, 92% sounds like 8% does not make it that good. 
But okay. regular vaccines only have 50% efficacy, which means only half of the one that are vaccinated don't get the disease. So when you get 90% numbers, that is never been seen before. It was so good, so amazing. So we need to stop people from dying that the FDA say, please go ahead and make. And then the, the company said, well, hold on, if I make all those vaccines and then you don't approve it, what am I going to do? And then is when the government says, the government yeah. in the US said, we will purchase them. We will pay you for them, whether we approve them or not. But we need them to be ready. So when they approve it, the next day they can start distributing them and not waiting for you for one or two months to make them because that would have been a really bad waste of time. Oh, yeah. I don't know if that answered your question, if it was clear. I am a nerd. I'm sorry. And I talk too much about this. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no, it's all right. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate that because a lot of people have these um conspiracy theories going on yes. and they're like okay who do i believe about this vaccine it's a virus yes we understand it's a virus and we know that something needs to be done but they've not followed the protocols we know i am actually somebody that yes i should be getting this vaccine but i've been so cautious standing on the fence and thinking mm -hmm. okay i'll just wait and see what happens yes. with this vaccine but for this episode, I'm just going to talk about things generally. I'm just going to ask questions that have been sent in by members of the public. And some of them have given me permission to mention their names. But some I'm just going to be asking the questions. I'll be reading them verbatim from the members of the public. So my first question is from Juliet Guinness. She wants to know whether people that have unknowingly had the virus would have a reaction to the vaccine and if so should they have a specific one because we have like three or four different vaccines now in the uk and i know in the us i think you have the moderna one that has been approved mm -hmm. for distribution but in uk we have uh, the pfizer biotech one the moderna one and we have the astrazeneca one as well yes which one well, should they be having if they've uh, unknowingly had the virus? Okay. So the answer is you should get vaccinated if you already got the virus and you should not get a reaction to it. I don't know what Juliet specifically means by a reaction, but you should have a little bit of pain after they put the vaccine on. I got my vaccine on December the, the 30th and my arm was pretty sore for two days. And that was expected the same way that the flu vaccine makes my arms sore. It wasn't anything that different. So why would you get the vaccine if you already got the virus? The answer is because of what happened already in the UK, which is mutation of the virus. So the virus starts mutating as any virus does. So there is a, going to be a time that the virus that attacked you when you got the disease is going to be so different with the virus that is in the environment around you now, 8, 10, 12, 20 months after you got infected, that your immune system is not going to recognize it. And most likely you're going to get the disease. Again. And whoever got the disease once, I know they don't want to get it again because it's awful. It is. So that's, that's the reason. So when you think, I have, what, what, how, what do you mean? Why is it going to be the vaccine that was made for the virus that we got originally going to work in the virus that is going to mutate years from now, months from now? And the answer is that when the vaccines are made, this brilliant, and my kudos to them, genetic engineers, what they did is that they put in those vaccines, we're talking about the Moderna vaccine, the Pfizer and Biotech vaccine, and the Oxford and AstraZeneca vaccine. What they did is that they put a lot of information of what to look for on these vaccines. Basically, a vaccine, what it is in these cases, is like a wanted poster, you know, the ones that we used to see in the Western movies that it says wanted a thousand dollars reward for it. Basically, that's what it is. But what it has is a description of what to look for, for the army that we have in our body that defends us, that is the immune system. 
the information in the vaccine is for the immune system and the immune system says, okay, this is what you're telling me, vaccine friend of mine, that I need to be alert and looking for, right? So it has a bunch of areas that they need to review. So they have it as a cheat sheet that they need to use to review anything that comes to our body if it has all or several of those checklist points. So whenever the coronavirus or COVID-19 disease starts, or you get the SARS-CoV-2 virus in your body and the immune system detects it because they are monitoring 24-7 the cells of the immune system that are, again, your army, they say, hold on, wait, wait a minute there, virus, let me check. You check number one, number two, number five, number seven, number nine, 11, 12, 13. I think you're the virus, dude. And then they, these cells that detect them, they start creating some kind of alarm. So other cells of the immune system, which means another part of the army that is defending you, comes over and destroy this virus because it checks a lot of the checklists that you have in that list. Doesn't necessarily have to check all of them, but the most important ones that are genetically speaking, what identifies the virus. So when the virus start mutating, the mutation doesn't necessarily have to go with the way that they transmit, the ones, the way that they cause the disease. It doesn't necessarily mean that. It's just that the virus is such a rudimentary thing being that it makes mistakes when it copies itself. So then Whenever certain things are not there or extra ones are, are created by mistakes when they reproduce, the immune system is still, is still capable to detect it. Granted, there will be a point that the virus is going to mutate so much that it's not going to be covered by this vaccine, but then the vaccines are going to change. Because we have the capability these days to grab the virus that is in anybody that got infected and then study and, and get all the genetical structure and then compare it with the one that they have used for the vaccine, they can see, okay, mostly these days, the ones that we got have the specific points for the checklist, not the ones that we had before. Let's just add this to this. And they don't take out any, they just add so then you have more coverage from the old virus and the new virus and their mutations. When I say old or new is the ones that didn't have mutations and the one that started having mutations. But it is predicted by this genetic engineers and scientists that it would pass from one to two years before this vaccine is not going to work anymore, which means that the virus have mutated enough for the vaccine not to work on them. Now, they are planning to change the vaccine by then to add all these new features that this mutated virus are going to have. So the vaccine will always work. I don't know if that answers Juliet's right. question. It was a long answer, but that's yeah, right. a long answer that you've given for one of the questions and it covers some of the other questions. But mm. Yeah, when you mentioned the reaction that Juliet was referring to here uh -huh. in UK, we saw on TV two British healthcare workers had anaphylactic reactions to the vaccine. Yes. And mm -hmm. we are aware that some health practitioners in the US have also declined yes. this vaccine. Because mm -hmm. I got information saying 55% of firefighters in New York are saying they don't want the vaccine. 50% of frontline workers in California are saying they don't want this vaccine. 30 to 40% of frontline workers in LA are also declining this vaccine. So yes. why should we as normal, everyday people allow ourselves to be vaccinated with this? Okay, so the first answer to the anaphylactic reaction, that happens, that could happen at any point with any type of vaccine. I have been an immunizer or certified to give immunizations or vaccines since 1997. And the protocols in the US are, which means the rules that you need to follow in order to vaccinate is that you always have to have epinephrine with you because anybody at any moment could be reacting anaphylactically against the vaccine because you don't know that you're allergic to something until it happens, right? And that's what happened to these people. That's what the commercials on TV always said, you know, don't use it if you're allergic, but, but how do you know you're allergic? 
You don't know. So that's one, that's one answer. The second answer is, so you get the the anaphylactic. How do you work with that? Well, we have, as I said, epinephrine with us that we know we're being trained how to use it. And uh, these anaphylactic reactions can be treated and they could be life-threatening, but we healthcare providers that are authorized to give vaccinations, we know how to do it. And everybody that got these anaphylactic reactions are fine these days. Nobody have died. So it is very easy to treat an anaphylactic reaction. What is not easy to treat is COVID. So even people that are well knowledgeable about this vaccine thing, and they're very allergic, they still take it. What they do is that they say, hey, I have allergies, very bad allergies before for other stuff. And what they do is that they give the vaccine in a hospital next to the ER. So if the patient gets in bad shape, they just treat it immediately at the hospital. So that way is more safe for everybody. So that's the answer to the first one. So the answer to why frontline healthcare providers don't want to receive the vaccine. Well, you know, these are individuals that work in healthcare, but that doesn't mean that they are knowledgeable of all the details for this. Plus social and political ideas are included on in these decisions. So they are individuals and this is a free country. So people decide if they want to take them or not. What are their, their reasons? I don't really know. Personally, I don't understand them, but I want to make something very clear for everybody that is listening. I was supposed to the vaccine at the beginning. I spent over 90 hours studying this virus, the vaccines, the effects of the virus. And I did it because 10 members of my family have had the the virus, the disease. And three of them got hospitalized, two got in the ICU, both of them intubated. Thankfully, both of them made it and they're okay now. But that was really hard for me because they all live in Spain and I live in the US. So being from the distance is very, very hard to deal with that. And I said, I need to find out more about this because this is getting scary. And not everybody does that. Not every pharmacist that I know does it. Not every doctor that I know does this review that I have done. Not everybody wants to read about it because of their own ideas. So that's why they, it might be the reason why they don't want to take it. I took it and my second dose is on the 20th. And you can bet 100 euros that that vaccine is going to go on my arm. Absolutely. <laughs> so and you... I will post pictures. Oh, yeah. I would love to see your pictures. Yeah. <laughs> That's great to know that at least you have taken it. Did you have any reaction to it when you took it? Yes, I have a little bit of soreness in the arm. And the second day, I noticed that the ganglia, that is a little rounded thing that we have in our throat on the side of the, the vaccine, got a little bit inflamed. And I was so happy, Tony. I was so happy because I knew that my immune system was working, that the (laughs) vaccine got the message to my immune system. And the the ganglia are like where the colonels and the generals and the commanders in chief for this immune system of yours, that is your army, leave. That's where they do the strategy. And I knew the information got to my ganglia and I knew that they were working to set, to spread the message of, of the checklist of this virus to, to protect me. So instead of being afraid, instead of being upset, instead of being uncomfortable, I was celebrating that I got this effect because I knew that my body and the immune system of my body was working to protect me. Oh, thank you. I'm happy that you feel confident with this vaccine right now and 100%. Okay. So people have now been vaccinated, but mm-hmm. are the authorities and you as a clinical pharmacist and doctors, do you monitor people who have taken the vaccine to find out how they're faring? Well, I have uh, I have a podcast and I also have dedicated my time to go on Instagram and answer questions. And of course, people ask me a lot of questions and I do it in two languages because my original language is Spanish. So I get feedback and questions from everybody. So I have a lot of information for that. I've heard of people that have had so many symptoms that they're scared to get it again, but they don't understand that what the symptoms are and where they're coming from. And another thing is that think about healthcare providers 
they are not all doctors. They don't go to school for four, five, six years to get their uh, license to practice in these places. Most of them are nurses or MAs or other type of oh, medical assistants that are not that knowledgeable about immunology the way that we kind of do. But honestly, because I graduated 27 years ago, I did not remember that much. I had to study again to understand it. So I don't blame the ones that don't believe it because at the beginning I didn't. I had to study, review, research, investigate for me to change my mind and understand clearly what it was. So I don't blame them and, and I don't blame them being scared for the side effects. It's kind of normal if something happens to you, you get scared, right? Yeah, definitely you get scared because mm -hmm. I think, I mean, if somebody goes into anaphylactic shock, it's mm -hmm. scary to it's see. scary. It is yeah. scary to look at and it's scary to actually experience. So I can imagine yeah. how people feel. I've been, yeah, uh, yeah I've been in coma got... twice. So I know oh, how, gosh. yeah, I, I know how my family felt at that time. Yeah. So I can yes, imagine people going through anaphylactic shock on TV. This is, was on national TV. So I can imagine this is got to other people as well. But the ones that don't understand how to treat an anaphylactic reaction might be super scared. But I have had two patients in my 27 years of career that have had it. And both of them walked away with, on their own. We got the ambulance there. They were ready to take them to the hospital, but they were fine. I did what I needed to do. I got them their treatment and they were fine. The best part, they got the vaccine. So now they're protected. All right. Thank you. So I'll go to my next question. Go ahead. What if somebody reacts after the vaccine, once they're no longer with the healthcare practitioners, what can I do to help them? If there's a reaction or say for, for whatever reason, they have another anaphylactic shock or whatever reaction, what can we do to help people? Well, as I said in a previous question, these patients need to take it if they want to take the second dose based on their own situation and the decision with their doctor. It's not that they do what I say or what you say. They need Everybody has to have very thorough checkup of what they need and find out if the risk is better than the sure stuff that is going to happen to them. So what they need to do under my view and what is recommended also for the authorities is for them to report this to the vaccination center where they go and then get vaccinated within a hospital or next to a hospital. So if they get this reaction, they can be treated immediately at the point of vaccination. But if they need to be admitted to the ER, they will be next door and it will be super easy for them to be treated. Again, anaphylaxis is treatable. Once they've left the premises, mm -hmm. if they have a a reaction after leaving the premises, what can you do to help? Anaphylaxis happened within two minutes of the injection. And that's why whenever you get the vaccination, you must stay 15 minutes in the facility observing. And if you have any, any problems, you need to report it so we can take care of you. Well, that's to start with. Most people after 15 minutes do not, do not have any, any big effects. That is not known yet all over the world where the vaccine is being given. Now, if you have any symptoms afterwards that are not going to be anaphylactic, which means that you cannot breathe anymore, then depending on the symptoms is what we need to do. But if in the, in the weird case that somebody gets anaphylaxis after they have left the facility, they need to be rushed to the ER immediately. Yeah. So my next question is from John. Does this vaccine help to reduce asymptomatic transmission of this virus? Technically, yes. because Anybody that has the virus in their body will be able to transmit it. So if you have the vaccine that is preventing the multiplication of the virus in your body, eventually your immune system is going to kill what it came in so you cannot transmit it anymore. So we don't know who has it asymptomatically, right? We have no idea how to do it unless this person gets tested several times then it's impossible to determine. So that's why vaccination is the solution because whether you have symptoms or not, if you get the virus on you, your immune system is going to stop it from reproducing and then your immune system also is going to kill it so you are not able to transmit it anymore. Okay. So 
The next question is, for my work, I require COVID testing. Mm. How often can I be tested for the test to be effective? Well, that's a very interesting question because people think that it's a yes or no and it's black or white, and that is not the case. When you get a test, well, let's just start a little bit behind. If Whenever you get the virus on you, it needs about six days to reproduce in enough number of viruses for it to be detected by the test. So if you get tested day two after you got the virus, most likely you're going to have a negative test. But the virus is reproducing in your body. And then by day four, you're going to have the symptoms or you're going to be tested positive if they test you again. So what is recommended is that you only get tested when you know that you were in contact with somebody that has the virus or had positive, and meanwhile, you isolate yourself because you might have it and be contagious and not have symptoms and test negative. Now, if you were in touch with somebody that had a virus on day one, and then you get a test on day 13, day 10, most likely that result is going to be true, which is negative or positive, but it's going to be real not a false negative. That's how they call it. So it shows negative because the virus have not reproduced it enough to detect it, but it's false because whenever it finishes finishes reproducing, then it will be testing positive. I hope that that was clear. Yeah, it's clear enough for us, but for some people it might be a bit unclear because now you're saying if somebody has a test, it might be false positive or false negative. Well, the chances that it's false positive is very, very small. It still happens, but it's very small. The chances of false negative are way bigger. So if somebody has a false negative test and is now exposed to another person, could they transmit the virus? That's why when they said that if you knew that you were in in contact with somebody that had the virus, you need to isolate yourself because the chances that you got it are are there and also the chances that you can transmit it before you get the symptoms exist very much so and that is what continues propagating this this virus so as soon as you know let's say that you and me were having a meeting today and for some reason i sneezed and it went all over the place even though we were both wearing a mask and you breathe in and your mask had a little hole uh, uh, that area that that virus could get in most likely you got it so when i tell you hey I got the virus, I'm positive immediately. You need to, number one, isolate yourself. Number two, you need to tell anybody that you were in touch with, I got the virus, you need to isolate yourself as well. If that wouldn't happen at the beginning, we wouldn't be here. I know, yes. I wish we could have done that at the beginning, but we didn't do that. I think we didn't know uh, so much how it worked. So that's why we didn't do it. And other people that kind of knew didn't want to, believe it. So it got out of hand that fast. That's what happened. All right. Yeah. And if these vaccines are meant to protect me and my loved ones, yeah, I think we've actually answered this. The question is, if these vaccines are actually meant to protect me and my loved ones, why are people having adverse reactions to it? Well, because we have adverse reactions to everything. In my case, I'm allergic to penicillin. And penicillin is an antibiotic that has been known for saving millions of lives. But my body's peaky. My body doesn't like penicillin. And it, gave, it gives me an anaphylactic reaction. That happens to everybody and anybody. There's people allergic to peanuts. There's allergic people allergic to anything and everything. So you don't know that you're allergic to it until you react. So that is one thing. The other adverse reactions that you might have to the vaccine might be done as might might happen because of what I told you that the immune system is acting. People might see it like something bad, but it's not. It's simply your immune system reacting. It's like when you have a, uh, have you ever been bitten by an ant or a bee? Yeah. Immediately you get Stings. pain. Yeah. Yeah. Things. It gets inflamed. It gets red. It gets warm, and it itches. Do you remember that all of that? Yes, definitely. Well, that does not happen because of the venom between quotations that the bee gave you. That happens because your immune system is protecting you. So the inflammation is because the cells that are protecting you get together there, surrounding the enemy between quotations. That is the venom between quotations that the bee gave you, right? And that's why it gets inflamed. It gets red because the blood 
flow increases to bring more of these cells that are going to protect you there. It gets raised again because there's so many, so many uh, cells there protecting you and it itches because that stimulates circulation as well. So, and, and it gets also warm because these cells that protecting you are like me. They like to be in the warmth. They don't like to be cold. That's why it gets warm in the area for them to work better. And most people want to do something for that inflammation, for that pain, for that itching, for that redness. But you shouldn't because if you do that, you're working against your immune system defending you. You just need to put maybe a cold crump compress or something just to because it's going to go away in a few minutes. But people get desperate and they start putting stuff in it and it delays the help that the immune system is giving you and the process goes longer. But it is human reaction to want to fix anything that was wrong. That's the same thing with the vaccine. Thank you so much. And the next question here is, Mm -hmm. if I decide to take this vaccine, how long will I be immune to the virus and new strains? Okay. So as I explained in a prior question, genetic engineers are thinking that it might be between one or two years. But that's why they're thinking that we need to get vaccinated then. Not only because the virus is going to continue mutating, but also because they think that the stability of that immunity in our body is going to last that long. It's not going to be an every year one, they think. It's not going to be several times a year. It might be once every two years. But again, this is a brand new thing. We don't know yet. We will know when we know. These are uh, exp- uh, like something that the computer system is thinking based on the behavior of the virus but we don't know anything for sure yet. Okay. Yeah, because we don't know anything about the virus. It's all new to everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I appreciate that. But what are the other side effects I can expect from the vaccine? Fatigue, tiredness. It's like you got the flu. You feel tired. You just want to lay down. You might have a little bit of fever. You might feel like the area got to inflame the arm. The arm might be a little sore. You might even get a little bit of the ganglia like mine under your neck, like under your jaw, close to your neck, feeling that something is inflamed there. And you might get a little bit dizzy too. So people think I got something else or the virus got me sick. That is not a sickness. That is your body reacting to the virus, your immune system acting and telling you, I got you, dude. I got everything. I will, I will take care of it. Most likely within two days, those side effects are going to go away. Thank you. Right. So we talked about this vaccine and we talked about the virus, but there's a question here about the constituents of the vaccine. There are so many things I have heard about the vaccine and its constituents. Can you tell us what the vaccines contain? Sure. The vaccine contains the mRNA. If we're talking about the the one from Pfizer and the one from from Moderna, it contains the mRNA, which is the, the genetic structure of the part of the virus that causes the reproduction reproduction of the virus, which is the little spikes that are on top of the virus. We, we've seen all pictures of this thing. And it, it has a synthetic copy of the information of how it looks. It does not have a real one. It's a synthetic computer generated one. That's one thing that contains. Now, if that is, is placed in your, in your body in, in the form of an ejection, your immune system is gonna detect it and destroy it because it's a foreign thing. Like it would be if a bee stains you, right? Same thing. Because we don't want that to happen. We need to cover, protect that synthetic part of the virus with something that the immune system is not going to destroy at the first entry. So that's why it has these nanoparticles that is like a capsule, a little tiny, teeny capsule made of fatty cells that are not going to cause a reaction in the immune system. So then it could get to the cells that are going to reproduce it. And once it gets reproduced, it's like those movies that it says, this message is going to be destroyed within three seconds and it counts three, two, one, boom, and it disappears, something similar. So it disappears, it gets eaten by the immune system, destroyed 
by the immune system. Only the copy that has the, the alarm for the immune system to say, hey, you guys, I have the checklist here, come get it. That's the only part that does not die. And that's the part that will activate your immune system. So that is what it contains. It also contains some polyethylene glycol, which some people have been allergic to as well, topically, like if you put that in your, in your, on top of your skin, or if you drink it for, because some people use it to go to the bathroom. It's a, it's a helper to go to the bathroom, a medication, actually. People get allergic to that. They have little reactions. It contains some of it just to make the, the, the vaccine stable. It has other components that are uh, necessary to make it liquid and to make it stable, but does not contain other kind of preservatives. And that's why it needs to be frozen the way that it is because it does not contain the most common types of preservatives which people are allergic to but does it contain anything that is going to harm you unless you're allergic to them and again you don't know that you will until it happens it's nothing nothing weird it's all synthetic though nothing is part of the real virus thank you so much for that answer one other question i've got here is because you've just talked about immunity and um, the virus working with the immune system. What if mm -hmm. another strain of the virus is discovered? Will I still be immune given that the new strains are more mutant than the previous strains found? Well, the virus mutate all the time. It's not something new. It's not specific. It's not extraordinary. It's normal. They mutate. The ones that they found in the UK were 16 different mutations, but none of the mutations had anything to do with the part that transmit the disease, the part that allows the virus to reproduce in your body, which is the spike or the S protein, the little things that are on top of it that looks like little spikes. That's what they look. So the mutations were within the virus, like the little circle that makes the virus, the little ball that makes the virus, not on that part. That's why the vaccine will still work. As I said before, the projections that the genetic engineers have is that these vaccines that we have these days, the three of them, the one from Moderna, the one from Pfizer, and the one from AstraZeneca, will be effective for at least one or two years from now. But their commitment to the community is that they will continue checking out all the viruses, all the strands that are out there to make sure that the vaccine will be still effective. And at the moment that they think that it won't, they would add that information to the vaccine to make it even more rounded, even more protective. It's going to protect you from the virus that they were originally made for plus the virus that have mutated and that, that will be active at that time where you might have your vaccine. So that's why you keep getting another vaccine every certain time, like the flu, because they mutate and we need to be continue to be protected. So it's definitely not a vaccine that you get once and that's it, nor is the one like you get once every 10 years. Most likely will be once every year or every other year. Okay, thank you so much. The next question here is, given that this virus mutates, what can I do to protect myself and my loved ones from the virus? The first thing that you can do is to keep your distance, wear your mask, don't get into big groups, and wash your hands. And do what I do. Well, I would recommend that you do what I do. Keep your hands in your pocket so you don't touch anything, right? <laughs> That's a that's a key. I tell my husband, put your hands in your pocket. And he learned that. And bring your own pen wherever you go. So you don't have to use other people's pen because they say that they clean it and you don't know how, how good they clean it. So be mindful of touching, putting stuff down and whatever is contaminated between quotations, make sure you have alcohol wipes in your car so you can clean it up before you get home. And once you get home, do not touch anything until you wash your hands for at least 20 seconds so you don't bring anything home. And if you were, you know, in a high area that you can have it in your clothes and stuff, well, you need to take everything out at the door or in the garage, put it in a bag, bring it directly to the washing machine and not bring it to the house. That is a good way to act. <laughs> the other good way to act is to, well, be out the least possible. Be exposed the least that you can. Like going only to the grocery store and 
to the doctor if necessary, but other than that, stay home. And the most important one, in my opinion, as a pro-vaccine person that I am, is get vaccinated. Because I want to say one more thing before we move forward. The vaccine is not going to prevent you from getting the virus. The virus is going to come to you if you don't follow these recommendations that I just talked about, keeping your distance and wearing your mask or washing your hands. The, the virus is going to get to you. What the vaccine is going to do is to prevent it from causing the disease, which is the fever, the, the pain, the dizziness getting to the point that you cannot breathe and getting into the hospital. That is what the vaccine job is, not to prevent the virus from coming into you, because the only way that it could happen is that if you are in a box and never get out of it. Not, none of the vaccines will do that. They will not prevent you from getting the virus in your body. That is your job. The vaccine's job is to prevent from that that got in to reproduce and cause a disease. Oh, thank you. Yes, I follow these processes. And even when I go to the stores, I normally just get everything. And when I come back from my shopping, I clean, I wipe down, I do everything just to make sure that these are all clean. And sometimes I actually isolate my shopping. (laughs) I put away my shopping for like periods of time in the... In, in, a, in a different area. I don't put them with the normal shopping now. Let's go back to my next question. If we say the virus spreads with droplets and mm-hmm. we have been advised to wear masks, how long should I wear a mask for before it gets contaminated? You should wear just one day. You wear the same 24, mask yes. for 24 yes. hours. Right. So what, um, um, one of my pharmacist's friends that work in, in public health, actually, I interview her. That's one of the podcast episodes that I published. She said, treat your masks as underwear. Use it just for one day and either wash it if it's fabric after one day of using it or dispose it if you have a paper one. What you cannot do is to wear it several days because... The outside part of the mask, when you touch it with your hands, whatever it protects you from, you're going to get it in your hands. I actually have a video on my YouTube channel that I can give you the link of how to use the mask and how to take them out um, because without touching it, because then you can bring whatever is in the mask to your house, to your car, to your hands, and there is no protection. Same thing with people were, were using gloves at the beginning. I also have a video about that. They thought their hands were clean because they didn't touch anything. It was the, the, the glove. But then when they take the gloves out, they touch the gloves with their bare hands and they put it on top of the table and then it's there. You didn't protect yourself. Thank you so much for that. So we have time for one more question. Okay. And that question is... I am an anti-vaxxer, so I don't believe in vaccines. What can I do if my employer demands that I get the vaccine for work? I don't think anybody's going to demand that. They're, They're going to suggest it strongly, but they cannot demand it. Now, as other people that have rejected flu vaccines and other vaccines that are recommended in places where you work with a lot of people or patients, if you work in a hospital, is that you constantly wear a mask and you have to have other ways to monitor yourself and be absolutely honest. And then maybe they might have a process specific, a protocol specific for people like you. But even though I believe in the vaccine a hundred percent, and if you ask me, and I think you should use it, I would recommend that you do. I respect those that say no. Because that's the right. Now, think about your immediate family. If you don't take the vaccine, if you can contaminate them because you might bring it to home, right? That's one thing. And then think about your neighborhood because you can spread it in your building, in your, in your block, in your area. Then you can spread it throughout your state or your province. And then you do the same with your country. And then it continues growing up. Again, I want people that are thinking about not getting vaccinated. Remember how it started. 
It started with a few people in China, and now we have it all over the world. We shared it so many times and in so many weird ways that included airplanes and, and chips and other places that it got that spread. So if you think that you can control yourself and prevent yourself from spreading it and you don't want to get vaccinated, that is in your conscience, that's your decision, but do the right thing for you and for the community and the planet in general, because it's everybody's responsibility. One person got contaminated at the beginning and we all got at risk now. So one person can continue this process to, I don't know how long. So we need, we need to stop it somehow. Yeah, I agree with you. We need to stop these lives. Not, like right now, we want the world to return to normal. People have lost their jobs. People have lost things. Lives have been lost and it's just not ending. And we just want that to end. But, and also uh, the mental health situation is yeah. very important to remember. People are not used to be inside. Kids are not playing. They, they, they have their friends at school that are more important than family. And then you have other people that have home violence at home and they're being exposed to that even more that when they went to work or school that they were protected then or people would find out that they had they've been abused when they get out and now they don't have that advantage. So it is way more than I need to go to a party with my friends or I need to go visit mom. It's more than that. And we need to be mindful of that too. Oh, thank you. And also talking about mental health, the last part of my question was going to be, since the pandemic started, life has been anything but normal. What are some of the effects of the pandemic on mental health? This is going to take time because some people are reporting PTSD or post-traumatic, trans, post-traumatic stress disorders after being in the hospital, after being in with COVID because you think about the movies and all the stuff that, you know, creating your mind and your mind plays games with you. When is this going to stop? I don't really have an idea. I wish I could say in three months or a month after, but I don't think anybody knows. So the sooner we stop this, the fastest we break the cycle and the, the more healthy we get, the less people that get contaminated and spread it, the better for the whole world. It doesn't have to do with your family or your political party. It has to do with the whole planet. Well, thank you so much. If you're experiencing suicidal thoughts, please pick up your phone and speak to somebody. There are charities that offer support for mental health, like the CALM. Um, CALM stands for campaign against living miserably and their number is 0800-585858. They also offer confidential web chat. Mind is a, another national charity that supports mental health. And the number for them is 0300-123-3398. And there are counseling lines open where you can find someone to talk to. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 0800-273-8255. Samaritans are on 116-123. And the emergency number 999 is available anytime. I know the fire services also offer counseling services sometimes. And in America, I know the Trevor Project focuses on suicide prevention and they also offer training for lesbians, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and questioning young people under the age of 25. That's the LGBT community under the age of 25. So they, if you're a young person under the age of 25 and you are experiencing suicidal thoughts, please pick up your phone and speak to somebody. The National Domestic Abuse Airline and Web Chat is open for anyone who needs support in recognizing abuse. It's for women and young people. 
and the number is 0808-2024-7. It's available 24-7. And the last question finally is, do we now know how long it will be before children will be offered this vaccine? Well, children are not being attacked by this vaccine in numbers as adults. It's very, very, very little, the number of kids that are being affected. So the, the vaccines were actually not studied on kids, and that's why they're not available. But think about it. If you don't know a vaccine in adults that are stronger and more resilient um, than a baby, would you expose your kid to something new? Most moms said no. The vaccines, all of them, have been used in millions of adults in the world. They will be probably a little bit more confident to use it in kids. So it would depend of one once they decide to do it. But kids, honestly, are not going to have the disease in the same numbers that adults, but they will spread it because the virus will get into them. Yes, I'm aware that some kids actually go to school and when they come back, if they've been exposed to the virus, they could transfer it to their parents. Mm -hmm. So this is why I think they should do this study on kids as well and offer them the vaccine if it's possible. But it's a voluntary test. I mean, they they will take the vaccine voluntarily by approved by their parents. So that's what is the limitant then. But absolutely, I agree with you. Uh, It's been really informative. Uh, We've talked about everything right from the virus, the production of the vaccines and how it's been administered and the side effects it has on people and what people can do to help their communities and to stay healthy. So I really appreciate all the information you've shared. And thank you so much. And I really appreciate your time on my podcast today. A big thank you to all our listeners who have been sending us messages through the message link. I would like to thank everyone who has listened in so far and contributed to this podcast. Thank you so much. We couldn't have done anything without you. Keep listening. Keep sharing, keep downloading and keep liking. Thank you again.